This is Studio Talk with JTEC. Hey everybody, Jimbo JTech here, welcoming you back to another episode of Studio Talk. We've been on hiatus for a little while, so I'm very excited to be back today with this fourth episode of the show. I'm back in Boston after some time away, and I'm currently putting together my new show to take on the road in North America. Touring starts next weekend in Miami for the Anjuna Beats Pool Party, and will continue throughout the summer. Today's episode is brought to you by my online mixing and mastering service. I've been helping electronic producers get the best sound out of their tracks for a while now, and the feedback has been fantastic. For more info on this, head over to mix.jtechmusic.com. Our guest on the show today is American DJ and producer Steve Porter, who began making a name for himself in the early days of Progressive House. We first met when my career was really just beginning. I was living in Australia and still relatively unknown in the global scene, and his vinyl releases were on high rotation during our weekend adventures. You're hearing a few of them in the background right now. His past took an interesting tangent when he started messing around with auto-tuned video remixes of pop culture, which went viral and took the internet by storm. Here's a little snippet of his famous remix of the Slap Chop infomercial. He's since capitalized on this new vein of online interest and created Porterhouse Media, which now provides similar videos and other media services for some of the biggest brands in the world. When I caught up with him, he was chatting from his studio in California, a very big move across the country from his hometown in Massachusetts. Steve is a champ, and it was great fun catching up with him to hear his very unique story. I hope you enjoy it. So we can just jump right in if you like. Basically, it's cool. I really wanted to get you on the show because you and I basically started making a splash in the world of Progressive House at the end of the yep. 90s. Or I, I think I was starting to make uh, Progressive House music, and <laughs> you... I think I think some of the records that you did either by yourself or with Eli Wilkie or with Quiver or or with yep. Lee Burridge or whoever were kind of on heavy rotation uh, for the Australian crew and so much so that um, you know I, I know the Sweet Chili crew and, and a few others sort of were getting you out uh, to Sydney to play and I think that's where I met yep. you uh, to begin with many a moon exactly. ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. No, it's that's kind of crazy how music kind of brought us together like that. You know, it's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just think it's really interesting because uh, since that time, you've sort of taken the skill set that you have and you've turned it into something beyond what probably what you ever imagined it would be to begin with. <laughs> and <laughs> Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, that is a correct. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. And um, I've, yeah, so I've sort of been following your story the whole time and, uh, and very excited to hear that you're sort of, um, making more electronic music as well. And, um, yeah. I'm also yeah. really, really keen to hear just how things have been going for you lately. So, um, firstly, I wanted to sort of ask you about, uh, the sort of transition, uh, that America has made, uh, with dance music. America is sort of a very, a, a, a focus for me at the moment in terms of, uh, what's really popular here and, uh, and where yeah. it's all been heading. Um, so I think, you know, we, you and I were sort of tapped into a vein of, of pure progressive house uh, back sort of around the turn of the century. Um, it, was yeah. all, it was all about cheeky underground club shows and 12-inch vinyl yep. pressings. And uh, yep. I'm just interested to hear your take on 
the wave of mainstream EDM that's hit the USA. Uh, did you ever feel inclined to be involved in that world? And uh, w- what sort of made you get into this kind of music in the first place? Yeah, man. Uh, well, hey, great, <laughs> great question because, um, you know, I got into music, I got into DJing and making music because I, it was fresh and I felt like I was, I could be part of a movement and a part of a, you know, almost a science that I could contribute to and um, that I felt that uh, I could really uh, make a difference with it. And um, it was something, um, you know, it was just an emerging thing. You know, electronic music hadn't really had any bubble yet. Uh, it was still, you know, you had, you found it in raves. You had to look to, you know, Europe pretty much for the underground stuff, but like in America, especially like, you know, you really had to dig deep to find it. And, um, that was part of the allure, I think is just initially getting, you know, just how, how sort of like, you know, untouched and pristine it was. And, you know, how, uh, you know, it was just something very cool about, um, you know, finding something that you love, like, you know, and and it's like this, this cool little niche that you also feel like you can contribute to in a creative way and push the science of the music forward, um, you know, through, you know, cheeky club records, through, you know, collaborations, um, through, you know, getting your tracks to, you know, prominent DJs and having them play it out. And uh, it was like, there was just a a very cool, like inroads there that I was drawn to uh, creatively um, between, you know, mixing music, you know, as, as a DJ mixing music and blending and making really cool mixes as a DJ, but also creating the music that went, you know, when the, in, in those mixes. And that's, that's sort of like, you know, what drew me to it initially. And it's, uh, it, it's amazing how far that science has come with music, you know, cause I think, uh, I mean, when we, when we were sort of listening to you, to some of the tracks that you're putting out, um, in, Back in Australia, um, a friend of mine, uh, Mez, shout out to Mez if he's listening. Uh, he was uh, a, a reviewer for a Progressive House website, and uh, yeah. he had this kind of T1 connection uh, at his work, yeah. which was like an, a broadband connection was basically unheard of back then. <laughs> right. And he was just getting all these amazing Progressive House records uh through on promo all the time. And he had wow. a CDJ. It was like just when people were starting to, to play uh you know, to DJ with CDs and people were still, wow. people were still laughing at the idea of doing that. Um, yeah. and you had some releases on like little mountain, uh, on, yeah. Chris, on Chris Fortier's label fade. Um, yep. and yeah, we, we were just sort of spinning these all the time. So, so that, that was a time where, uh, people were still very much laughing at the idea of making music with computers. And that was sort of when yes. I was just getting into making music with computers. And it was, yeah. a, it was a very, uh, it was a very difficult, thing to find uh, a lot of information on because yes. no, like nobody was really doing it yet. There weren't many resources and it was still very much a time of like, you have to be making music with analog gear, with hardware. You have to, you have to yeah. have some kind of proper studio in order to do it. And you have to have some kind of record label who's willing to put up capital yes. in order to make this actually happen to make this record yeah. actually come to fruition. So is that, is that sort of where you came in? Like what, what, what was the sort yeah. of early setup that you were using? I mean, that was it. I mean, that was, I mean, that's definitely part B to my, my first sort of response is that like, there was sort of, you know, an element of, there was a, there was sort of a, you know, a difficulty curve, you know, of like, okay, this is something that you can't just jump into. This is something you have to buy the gear. 
you have to get the cables, you have to, you know, get the proper recording equipment, the, the proper pro tools or whatever you're working in and, you know, get it all working. And that, that, you know, that was part of the whole allure. So I started off with, um, well, my first ever, like my first ever production program was called uh, player pro. It had the vertical timeline, like from, from top to bottom. It was so bass backwards, but um, <laughs> it, it used like proprietary uh, sound bites. Um, but I made music in this player pro software that I downloaded for free off the internet back in like 1996. And then, um, you know, got good enough with that where I was like, Hey, um, literally I'm like a kid. I'm like, Hey mom, like I need something for Christmas. And uh, so she, uh, so my mom got me a 16 track pro tools system and uh, started with pro tools. I started with an MC505 groove box, um, which uh, in like around 1997, um, which, you know, is an all-in-one Roland piece. Um, and then honestly, uh, the rest of it was very much uh, a combination of, of a lot of sampling. I sampled a lot of records, um, you know, so like the record pools that I was part of, like if I couldn't, <laughs> my groove box didn't have the kick drums that I wanted. <laughs> so I would just sample, you know, like a breeder kick drum, or I would sample like kick drums from like, okay, that they, they have a good compressor and that sounds like a good kick. And I'm going to sample that and put it in my, yeah. my record. Uh, and so I sampled the shit out of everything and, um, you know, grimy vinyl samples in my like early digital pro tools tracks, um, which honestly created a really cool, like there was a really cool color to it. Um, and, uh, you know, outside of the sampling and the Pro Tools, you know, I had a Supernova. I still have it, a super, uh, Novation Supernova. Um, and, you know, I mean, that, that's, that is, that's pretty much it, man. I had a JP, I have a JP8080 um, that I was, that I messed with a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, that was sort of my early setup, you know, and then, you know, things evolved from there. Ever since that time, you've, you've been known for a certain kind of like funky baseline driven progressive house yeah. style. Uh, yeah. When I was looking at your discogs today to sort of like refresh my memory on on some of the records that we've been listening to over the years, I saw a very uh, I saw a comment from a guy named Webby from 2005, which says he is also a very good DJ that never seems to miss a beat. And just to make the story around him even more twisted, he seems to have a very strange sexual dance whenever he is mixing. Haha, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so funny, man. I, I know I got that's got to be the humping of the mixer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be the humping of the mixer. And that's my friend's fault. It was my friend Bonds. He like, he does that. And I kind of picked up on it. Um, and so like this, like gyrating of like, <laughs> like basically fucking the mixer. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's where that must be coming from. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I have, I have great, uh, sort of memories of that, of that time. And, um, obviously that, that is quite a long time ago now and, and the world has, yeah, has, has very much changed a lot since yeah. then. Yeah, uh, it definitely has. So, uh, Steve Jobs once said, it's all about connecting the dots. He, uh, he had yeah. like, uh, he minored in calligraphy in, uh, in college. And he says that, that he credits that for the reason that, uh, Mac OS went on to have like really good fonts and really smooth, attractive looking fonts. Um, when did you realize that you could combine the worlds of remix production and mainstream media? And just for a bit of background people, uh, Steve has, has basically championed, uh, his own company, Porterhouse Media, which has, uh, essentially remixed America. I think it's the best way to put it. Um, 
in, uh, from the website, it says Steve Porter has been credited with bringing the remix mashup to the mainstream. And, uh, you know, you've obviously worked with some of the biggest brands and media outlets in, yeah. in the world. Um, yeah. You've had TV appearances. Uh, you've won a couple of Webby Awards and even been nominated for a daytime Emmy. So it's, it's come a yeah. long way. Uh, how, how did this all begin? Yeah, man. I mean, I've <laughs> uh, been uh, based. I'll, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit just so I can tell you the ramp up to it. And it was basically, uh, you know, the trials and tribulations of a touring DJ um, who had no stop button. Um, and essentially, like, you know, uh, things really kind of blew up, you know, and I was touring everywhere all around the world uh, from the MySpace days all the way up to the beginning of the Facebook days. And, um, you know, I hit around. You know, it was a, it was basically, I want to say 2008, 2009, I was starting to hit a wall. Uh, I was getting burnt out and um, I had just moved back up to uh, Western Massachusetts from New York City to be closer to my mom and be closer to my friends. Uh, it was sort of a bold move. But at that time, um, something sort of just like switched for me. And I was like, man, I want to I want to stop this recycle, this like sort of spin cycle that I'm in right now, um, where, you know, nothing is inspiring. Nothing is, uh, I feel like I've done everything before I've painted with these colors before I've, uh, and, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the healthiest mindset at the time. I was just, I wish I had like, you know, you know, it's just, it was just a very human moment for me. And, um, you know, during that process, um, I started like doing something different and I was like, screw it. Like, I'm going to just like do something different, but in the same sort of skill sets that I already had. And that was remixing video, um, with no direction, nobody telling me to do it. Uh, I was just fucking, literally fucking around. And, uh, so I started, you know, we were just, you know, the couple of infomercials that were on TV, uh, you know, I just started remixing like everything and just for fun, no money, no, you know, I still had gigs, you know, plenty of gigs, uh, around the world happening, you know, but I was doing that, um, you know, as this weird, like new sub hobby, uh, like, you know, wherever I was. And so, um, I just kept on doing it, putting stuff on YouTube and eventually, you know, within about a year, uh, less than a year, it was like nine months. Um, I started hitting some pretty big view counts on some of these videos. And, um, and then one in particular was this like slap chop thing that I put up and it went mega viral. And I had never experienced anything viral like that before, because as you know, and many people from old school, it used to be a slow build. You used to have to work to get up the ladder. Okay. You got to release, you got to know this person. And you kind of like, you kind of made your way up the corporate ladder in the DJ world up to that point. Um, but you know, this was the first time when like the corporate ladder of the DJ world was annihilated by the viral activity like this. So, you know, within a week of releasing the slap chop remix, I was on national news talking about it. Like, just like what, what is going on right now? You know, it's just, it's total shock to my system. And then, uh, you know, of course I'm just like, you know, well, I'm just going to keep working on these. And, uh, I put out a sports one and that became really big in the sports world. Uh, I got a calls from all the major sports, you know, television stations in the U S and, um, you know, it all kind of like exploded. Uh, and so within a year of starting to put out those video remixes, I was producing commercials for the NBA, um, the national televised commercials for the NBA, uh, 
from 2000, uh, fall, fall of 2009 to the end of the finals in 2010. Um, and by that time, I was done with those commercials, which was a m- super major project of b- living in San Francisco and working on spots with a major ad agency. You know, my whole world had been turned upside down at that point because everything had been really just the, the, the spin cycle I was in. Like I totally spun out of it and like into a totally different, you know, a different thing completely. So, um, you know, it, it was a very, very interesting fun and interesting, uh, you know, uh, detour and to a totally new paradigm of, of work utilizing the similar skill sets that, you know, you remix audio, um, but really like sort of incorporating like a marketing sensibility into the videos. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I mean, that, that's, that's sort of where I ended up after the whole after all those videos went viral and then we, you know, everybody just started calling, you know, I started doing videos for pretty much every, you know, major media and, uh, you know, you name it and, um, for good or bad, you know, it, it actually got, I would say overly commercial at times. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I was just trying to meet the demand and it was fun. And, um, yeah, that, that, that's sort of what happened there. Um, but that didn't make me lose my love for music. It just was this like total tidal wave <laughs> that I just ended up with, you know, after, you know, that period of time when I was tinkering around with videos. Yeah. And you know what? I, th- I think, uh, the beauty of it is that because it's on a completely different medium that is inherently commercial, uh, I think you kind of avoided losing the credibility that I think some people do when they, when they switch from the underground world into the overground world, because usually they do it under the banner of their own music. They, they sort of, they do take what they're already doing and, and reinterpret it, uh, in a, in a commercial way in order to get that kind of virality and that kind of attention that, as you mentioned, like underground music often doesn't get, but the way that you've done it, it, because it was just such a completely separate world that you were, that you were operating in, um, it just, I think you're, you're like the musical sort of path that you had to begin with. And then the, like the porterhouse media side of things, I think they just have, have remained kind of completely exclusive from each other, to be honest. Like, yeah, which is, it, it, yeah, which is a really cool thing. I think I agree. I definitely agree, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, for me, um, you know, what's the biggest learning, hmm, biggest partition, the partitioning of the creative partition that I've noticed with the two of making music that you're feeling in the studio versus working on projects like in the porterhouse media realm, um, you know, is that, you know, when you're making music, you know, it's really a hundred percent coming from you and you're not like bouncing, you're not really bouncing it off of people. You're not really asking for feedback. Not really, you know, you're, you're really finishing it the way you want to finish it and then it's done. And if it, you know, if it flops, it flops, if it's good, it's good. I mean, you can work with a manager, sure. But, you know, in the media world, there are a lot of hands on deck and you're working with many, many cooks in the kitchen who all have an opinion. And, um, you know, that, that, that is the biggest difference between the workflow of, you know, just cranking out tracks and the workflow of working in the major media industry, uh, which was sort of, you know, kind of a splash of cold water when <laughs> I first, when I first got into it. So, um, um t- tell us a little bit about your approach for doing like a, a, a mashup remix and, uh, what, what sort of, uh, I mean, you were just mentioning a little briefly then, but what's, what sort of, um, difficulties do you face doing this kind of thing? And what sort of challenges do you encounter when you are working with the corporate world? 
Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing them long enough where I've, I've also like overthought them as well and put way too much, you know, just uh, my thought process has been too refined on these. And, you know, I think the number one thing on, on these remix mashups, you know, with video and all sorts of sound bites, the number one most important thing is to try to keep it pretty entertaining and or catchy. And that's very easy to lose sight of when there's a lot of editorial stuff to fit into it. Um, and not every, not every commercial is going to be catchy. Um, and so what I've found is that there's been a huge spectrum of, you know, what is considered good and what is considered effective as far as the style of syncopated remix media that we have and I have put out there. Um, some of it is extremely catchy. Some of it is barely catchy, but it gets the message across. Um, so initially when we start a project or I start a project on my own with Porterhouse, like uh, essentially I, just, I try to like obviously just get the full criteria of what, what is the top line for this video? Um, or, you know, am I working from working with a brand? If it's, you know, a serial, you know, do they want to have a certain, you know, hot button word? fit in there. Uh, if it's, if they just want me to go nuts, you know, just kind of go nuts creatively and work on something and, and deliver a first draft based off of just like my whimsical edits. Um, that that's another case. Um, so I, but the first part is really starts with like hearing out the client, hearing out what they want to do. Um, but you know, you don't want to like open the floodgates too much because sometimes like you give too much creative, uh, leeway, and then all of a sudden you, you end up in a bit of a stalemate because there's, there are too many cooks in the kitchen. It, it is a process, you know, and you, you, you learn to, you know, and not everybody is a creative either. You know, you have some people who are, uh, you know, they say they're creative director or a producer, but they're really not, you know, they've never produced a piece of music in their life. They don't understand, you know, the symmetry that needs to happen in a, in a score of music or like, you know, lyrical stuff that, you know, they want to make a cut from 37 seconds to 57 seconds. But that if you did it in the literal world, it would sound horrible, obviously, because, you know, it's not symmetrical, you know? Yeah. So, um, that, that there's a lot of like translation stuff that you just sort of, you know, you learn to work with as well, but, um, you know, it all starts with listening to the client and, um, and sort of, uh, trying to make the best spot possible from that one point forward. Um, do you think it would be fair to say that the style that you've sort of brought into the mainstream world has now sort of been sort of, it's, it's taken flight and now it's being emulated by other people as well. I mean, I do see these kind of things. I think a good Absolutely. example, a good example would be like the opening theme of, un, uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I don't know if you've seen that show, yeah. but it's yes. like that, it's that, it's that exact, it's like an auto tuned or melodyned type sort of like yep. cutting up of, of the vocals, <laughs> that kind of thing. Absolutely, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's not mine. You know, it's really not mine at all. It's, uh, it's just, I was, I was one of the people like pushing, trying to push it. You know, I get, you know, honestly, that's why I got into underground music because I felt like I was pushing it forward. This is why I got into this because I felt like I was pushing it forward. I guess I'm like, you know, a cultivator, Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, I feel like maybe I'm there like to plant the seeds, you know, I'm maybe not, the, I'm not Mr. Copyright, but I am the, uh, the guy that, you know, waters the, the, the crops. Um, so, you know, with that said, yeah, there's, it's everywhere, man. Like I, I see, I see hints of it. I see like new takes on it. Um, you know, and quite honestly, I work with clients now who don't, I've done so much work with like ESPN and a lot of the major like sports and, and major media. Now, now 
other clients who I haven't worked with before, they're, they're telling me not to, not to do it exactly like I used to do it because they don't want to be like ESPN. Yeah. So it's like, now we're, we're at that level where it's like, okay, you know, like we, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of going with the flow. I'm just like along for the ride at this point with, with, with it all. And you definitely see mashup culture everywhere. Um, you know, it's, you know, absolutely everywhere. Uh, and I mean, I've seen, I've seen direct copies of my stuff. Um, I've also seen stuff that is a nice artful take on the stuff that I, that I do, you know? And, uh, when it comes to music production, I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of interested because I, because I imagine that the, the, the last sort of five or, or 10 years or however, maybe five years or so, uh, has probably been, uh, really valuable for you in terms of like the way that you produce things, perhaps the way that you mix things down. Um, yeah. So I'd be really interested to say, to sort of like know what, what advice you would give to the, to the, to the pre, uh, slap chop Steve Porter, or, or perhaps a better way yeah. of asking that question is, um, if, if you're sort of looking to, to, to make yeah. some more electronic music now, what, what do you think, um, the difference will be between like what you were doing back then and now based on what you've yeah. learned since then? Yeah, it's crazy. Like this, this like, you know, detour that I've taken career wise has been, it, it's been a college in itself. Um, you know, I've learned so many new techniques for music production that, that, you know, ultimately are not even appreciated in the mashups, but I've, but I've been picking them up, you know, as I go along, because just of, just by the nature of what these mashups have you know, the road that these mashups have brought me down. So first of all, it's a very pop culture element, you know, so I'm working, you know, in a pop culture space. These have to be catchy things. Quite honestly, you know, the pre-slapped up myself, um, you know, I didn't do a ton of crazy. I didn't do it. I really no pop stuff. You know, it was all like long drawn out, you know, melodic stuff. So that was number one, just sort of like the, the crash course in mainstream like pop format of stuff you know it's not necessarily you know um stuff i you know i love you know i like like it but uh at the same time just a crash course in how to format a really potent pop song uh would be one um as far as becoming sort of a master at ableton live um i think that that's sort of what happened with the mashup stuff i was sort of a novice with ableton um, I had just left Pro Tools in 2007, and then I was getting to know it, Ableton, and it was an ugly process. It was a very ugly process because the two programs were quite different at that time, um, and they may still be. I haven't looked at the comparison, but um, getting becoming a very good, very very good with Ableton Live um, has been uh, the the next thing. Where just knowing you know how to do basically you know everything in the program, but three different ways to do it you know, in that level, um, I guess sort of like ninja style. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a ninja. Um, so that, that's another element. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, th those are things that I would bring back to, you know, making music now. Uh, you know, there's just been a lot of observations because I've been during this time of doing porterhouse media work, we've also seen ADM blow up and the sort of purification of electronic music you know, and, you know, I, I, something that I miss in, in electronic music is the hair and the dust that used to exist on it. And, you know, the, the I just remember using like just dirty kick drums, like really, really dirty kick drums, you know, and now it seems like, you know, I, you know, now I've taken a break, but if I get, you know, as I get back into it, 
you know, and I've been working on tracks on the side here in the closet, you know, all these years, but just not, not giving them the attention that I know they deserve from just because of knowing what it takes to make tracks. Um, but if I, you know, when I start putting out new music, I just want to make sure that they have, they have an element of uh, dirt, <laughs> you know, some dirt on them. <laughs> and I think, I think a little bit of space left over in the record, in the sound space too. That's something else that, uh, people tend to sort of, uh, yeah. expand every single every single part that's there in the sound space in their track to the maximum space that it will fill now um, and then the, the mastering as well is sort of like it's it's baked as it's it's it rises in the oven as, as as far as it possibly can go and that's kind of the norm now and um it's something that i sort of uh i i kind of I, tr- I always try and find a balance there because i i've just heard so many good tracks that like just the way that they're mixed and they're mastered just kind of sucks all the fun out of it, you know? And we yeah, did come, we did come from this world, especially from the vinyl world where I think tone was, was a much more important thing and it was a much more natural thing. And also switching from the analog to the digital world, uh, tone is something that sometimes gets lost in a record. And that's something that like, I'm, I'm really interested in sort of, in sort of preserving, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, totally. I, so I just moved out to LA and, you know, um, there weren't many record stores where I was in Massachusetts, but, um, I have, I'm totally intent on, um, you know, going vinyl shopping and just like starting to sample, sample records again. And I, I guess got to get out of this digital like sample world where, um, you know, one thing about making, you know, quick fire mashups for all these agencies, sometimes you might have a week to turn around something pretty massive. You have to use samples. You're not sitting there on a 909 crafting, you know, organ- an organic, you know, kick wave, you know, so you are going to use those samples. And what we've been privy to seeing is, is just sort of like the mass production of the same exact samples. They're just repackaging the same exact perfect kick in all of these packs. Like it's the same shit. And, you know, it's sort of a purification of of everything. And, uh, you know, I'm like, man, I got to get my analog thing going here a little bit and get, you know, get my sampling going, you know, get a, you know, get a new analog synth, you know, just something that gives me some life, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, something else that I think has really changed uh, lately is that, uh, the required level of quality for for a finished product has has gone through the roof, and I think that's just because yeah. there are so many more people in the game now, and yeah. uh, people work very 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 hard to sort of bring their record to fruition, and uh, that's something I certainly realized. I, I noticed up until a certain point, I could just I could just create stuff. I could sort of just sort of throw it from my, from my brain and like splatter it onto a, onto a canvas, so to speak and clean it up a little bit. And then, and then that was the record, you know? And I, I I think I credit some of my biggest hits being having a certain tone because of that kind of DIY, like not really quite pristine kind of, kind of vibe, you know? Absolutely, Uh, man. Whereas, but but I, I hit a point where I kind of realized that I had to be, so much more polished in the, in the implementation of what I was doing. And, and it was like, I would, I would get, I, I would get to the finish line and then I would, I would play it to a bunch of people. I would sort of think about it in a bunch of n- new perspectives that I hadn't thought about it before. And I suddenly realized that like, I'm, I'm nowhere near the finish line and it, yeah, can, be, man. it can be very, very hard to actually know when you've, when you've made it all the way there. And uh, how, how, do you, how do you know when something is finished? Yeah, I hear you, man. Um, I kind of gave, like I made a, 
I, in the last, like, you know, in the Porterhouse Media years, I've made a couple tracks that were my attempt to, you know, fit in, you know, more or less like, okay, this is going to be my EDM remix. This is going to be my skinny jeans remix. This is going to be, you know what I mean? I'm, I, I made purposely, I was, I'm going to just see, I'm going to shoot the target here and see if I can hit the bullseye, but really not being myself at all. Like trying to fit the mold, trying to make sure the drop hits exactly the way drops should hit, you know? And, um, it just sucked. I fucking hated it. Like, and so like, and, and for me, like now the finished, any tracks that I finish are going to be like what I consider finished. I'm not going to listen to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen to other music to inspire me, but I'm not going to like consider one track as the end all be all template for what should be the, the actual layout and the drop and whatever of the track. And that's, that's how it was. I mean, like you sort of took inspiration and stuff, but then you would try, okay, I'm going to like kick it in like this and it doesn't have to be this formulaic, you know, you know, for, formulaic fucking buildups and, you know, formulaic, like same exact kick drum in every track, same, you know, just, so for me, like finished will be finished. And I, I, I'm quite happy to like discard them into the toilet if they suck. Um, but I think that's, that's my biggest takeaway is when I tried to be somebody that I wasn't and I tried to make, you know, in, I made a, a, uh, a, uh, fucking like very EDM sounding remix. Um, you know, a couple of years ago and, uh, just for fun, I guess, just to see, you know, and it came out. Okay. It was cool. With like, you know, I think it was a decent effort, but I was like, dude, this is not, this is just me like with a bad haircut, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is me wearing like skinny jeans that are like, you know, sucking my balls up to my, you know, you know what I mean? So I just, you know, fin- finishing to me has to just come from you like 110% you have to be done with it and not like worried about like, you know, the, you know, the formula, the formula of things as much, um, you know, granted, I mean, I, what you said about the quality, I think is very important, you know, in the sense that there is a standard of quality, but you know, um, you know, people are so, I think in so intelligent when it comes to authenticity of things and uh when they can tell when something's like okay that's legit that's that's authentically you that's authentic from beginning to end and it doesn't sound like you're trying to be somebody else you know and i think that that's for me the biggest takeaway of like how i want to finish music now is just like i don't want to sound like i'm finishing it for somebody else i want to sound like it okay like i took this from beginning to end just like i used to do it and finished it and uh now you see the either the ugliness of me or you see the beauty of me whatever it is so that's that's sort of my epiphany on that <laughs> and I, th- I think you're you're in a good place because you have uh like a quality stream and a quantity stream in that sense you know you do have this kind of project that is all about you know getting gathering as much attention as possible and and, and being really overt and over the top and maybe that actually gives you a bit more space to do your own thing with your own music you know yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a huge contrast there and, and things that I don't want to ever take from, you know, spitting out a viral mashup that gets a million hits in, in a day. Um, there are, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a mind fuck really, because like the, those are the kind of numbers that you would love on your track. You know, um, you would love a million hits on your track. Um, anybody would, I think at this juncture, but you know, that's, that's sort of a, there's a lot of things that I don't, like about how rushed it is. And, um, that's a different talk show. I mean, I think we're, we're in an era where like low effort gains are, are very 
that you can get very high gains on low effort. Yep. And, you know, and that, that is in music and that is in media. And it's disturbing to me a little bit because, you know, it, it's, it's sort of made the high effort stuff a lot more risky, you know, in that, in that sense, um, which I really, I hate that. You know, I, I love being able to put a lot of effort into something and be like, okay, this is my big effort. And, you know, I'm very proud of this. You know, and but there's been other situations where, um, you know, I've done a done something overnight and I put it up the next morning and it just like got millions of hits. And I'm like, man, like, you know, I'd be lucky if I got 500 listens on a new track right now. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, it's funny you mention that because um, so whenever I go back to Australia, I basically I, I always try to write stupid music with my friends. And we've we've right. we've got like four whole albums of like terribly awesome stupid music that's awesome <laughs> and, um, i love that <laughs> i feel i feel like they are some of the catchiest tracks that i've ever written and some of the most like effortless and were they were, were the, the 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 subject material not so quite so specific to like my group yeah. of friends it would it would I probably it probably do better on the internet than um than like anything else that i actually sort of put out uh, i mean dude it probably will i mean i, I you should release that stuff i, I I would bet that people would be like, dude, this is what, what were you sitting on this for? <laughs> <laughs> I, I also sing in a lot of the tracks, which is, is something that I, that I don't usually do. So, you know, Hey man, it's always, there's never, it's never too late to come out on the singer. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that's, that's exactly what my fans want, right? They want me to just like write a new record and then suddenly I'm just like bursting into song all of a sudden. They, they want the hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, they want, yeah, they want, I mean, that's, that's true though. They want everything. And I thought about that, like from a production level, like, should, should I just, you know, you, you see dead mouse do that. They, there's like a very inclusive, like, here's like beta test one of this track. I'm just messing with this. And I've always been superstitious with that. Like, should I, should I like, you know, invite people and watch, I mean, my boxer shorts and like, I have a, like a, a live stream and I'm working, you know, all stinky in my studio, you know, uh, do they want to, do they want to see that? You know, I think a lot of people would be at a certain junctures would be very interested to see like the, you know, the raw version of, you know, some of the raw tracks you've made, the raw version of whatever. And I, it's, it's a, you know, it's that kind of all, all inclusive world now I think we're, we're living in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'd certainly be, well, I, I, for one would definitely also be very keen to hear what you've, uh, you've been chipping away at in, in the closet over all these years. And I'm just, I'm picturing you like in this dark, like closet in, in, in your it, house, like quietly yeah. producing progressive house or, or whatever, really, whatever it is you've been making, you know? It is, man. I have, I have about, you know, I have a big chunk of music, man, that I've been working on in the last, it's not, not my style to be sitting on so much stuff, but I, I just know, I just know that it takes, you know, you can get a track to 95%, but the extra 5% that make it, that makes it 100 is the most important. Definitely. And, you know, and, and I know that, um, I know that, I know the sweat that you have to put into to get that extra like magic. And I just, you know, I, I you, you reach a point that, that sort of innovator dilemma when you, you, you've come so far with something and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to slight it by not giving it the full effort. And so, um, you know, my, uh, my studio creations right now, I have a bunch, you know, I just don't know, you know, you know, I think my plan is, uh, I have, I'm sitting on a lot of shit. I don't necessarily know what boxes it fits into. I think my best, my best option is basically just put out like a mix album of all the shit and be like, and I'm just going to call it like, 
whatever lost years, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I just need, I need to get this stuff into the toilet and then move on. Um, you know, and I, I would be perfectly happy for people to be like, wow, I, you know, that is a weird track. I can't, that's a, that track sounds like everything you made before, you know, I'm cool with all that stuff. You know, um, I think it would be healthy for me to get it out. And so I've been thinking about more or less just creating like a mix album, you know, uh, you know, sort of a tattered and bruised version of like something I did, you know, I made home, this one called homegrown back in 2004, a little mix album of my own stuff. This would be sort of like a tattered and bruised version of it. But, um, you know, I just don't like sitting on music, um, because it's just like, you know, why not? Why is it not? It doesn't do any, you know, it's just sitting there on my hard drive, you know? So I've, so we'll see, we'll see how, how I decide to uh, mix it all together and get it out there. <laughs> well, something I just did, I actually, I actually just did something very, very, very similar to what you're talking about because I like, it's criminal how much unfinished music I have. And some of it, some of it is like 99% finished. This is the stupidest thing. Um, so what, what I actually did, uh, on, cause I have a monthly podcast, uh, in addition to this one, like a music podcast and, right. um, basically for my hour of the show, we usually have a guest, we have a guest mixer in the second half as well. And uh, for, for my hour, it was just all unreleased tunes of mine that I was That's trying awesome. to figure out what to do with. And I was like, just give us like some feedback in the comments, like let us know which ones are doing it for you and we'll release like a handful of them. So we're going we're gonna to release like uh, probably three or four of those tracks. It was actually, uh, what's, what surprised me was that it was actually quite hard to discern which ones we should use because on yeah. every single track, somebody was like, yes, this is the one that I like. You should release this one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think if, if you have a bunch of music that you can tie up into a, like a nice little package like that and put out, you should definitely do it because yeah. 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 Th like that, that'll be like a really, I mean, it, like for the people who've been following your music, that'll be like a really valuable thing. Um, yeah. And I yeah, think, man. I think it's a good, it's a big step in the right direction for like your own <laughs> music as well. You know, no doubt, man. I mean, I think for me, it makes the most sense just from on so many levels to do it that way. I just sort of like batch release it all. Um, just because, I mean, it's, it seems like, you know, it's sort of an all or nothing, um, scenario when it comes to people's attention spans for me to just sit there and try to like put an emphasis on one track is too much for me right now. I want to, I think I would have to create sort of a Netflix experience. Okay. This is like, this is from start to finish. This is like, you know, my portfolio, my new, my new, my sound from the last, you know, that I've unreleased tracks that I never put out, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it, I think people are looking for that, like sort of escapism experience that they get from Netflix that they get from, you know, it's pretty much, you know, the long play, you know, the long play experience, you know, it's something that's like totally original that they can, you know, if they're into, they can escape into and, uh, it's totally unique, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's, that, that, that idea inspires me the most as far as like just getting this, the, the old the stuff I've been working on out. Yeah. I, I think a really good example of that is, is like the dead mouse at play compilations. Cause if you, if you listen to those, that, that's basically exactly what they are. They're like tunes from his archive, you know, from his, from his yeah. project folder or whatever. And, uh, they're definitely no one, they don't grab you anywhere near as much as like the big hits that is put out, you know, like they're much more experimental in nature. Um, they're much more simple usually, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of musical like sketches sometimes rather than, yeah. these, you know, and um, so I think there is definitely a place in the world for that kind of thing. And like the way you describe it as like a Netflix style experience is actually a really good way to put it, I think. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm just, I'm always thinking about like, what, what is the attention span? Where, where are people's attention spans, you know? And, 
Um, you know, they're in politics. Politics is pretty much owning the day. But then, you know, you have Netflix, which is, you know, the binge watching uh, attention span thing that, you know, you know, I think about that. It's like Netflix is like the new DJ mix, you know, in a sense, like, you know, there's so many millions of people that are like, like tuning into this, like visual, it's, you know, it's an episode, it's episodic, you know, there's, you know, one through 12 or whatever. But to me, it's like, it's kind of like, this is like the new sit down on the couch and listen to the DJ mix thing that we used to do a lot more in the late nineties when, you know, we were, you know, whatever, smoking weed and sitting on the couch, you know, um, you know, that, that behavior isn't as popular as it used to be. (laughs) Um, but when I think about that, how people are, you, you see people on every, you know, Facebook, all over internet, they're just talking about how they're binge watching Netflix. And that really is where the attention span, the majority of that long form attention span has gone. And, you know, make it gets you thinking like maybe, you know, maybe there's a, there's a, a new paradigm there for, all music producers to, you know, keep evolving their album concepts to be, you know, part of these all encompassing shows, you know, um, you know, obviously that's what scores are for, you know, but, you know, um, it, it gets me thinking about that a little bit, you know, like, you know, just finding the place for music, you know, I know music has, you know, the place for music has evolved, but, um, finding those, those little, you know, avenues and stuff for music that, um, you know, for the long play stuff, um, you know, I think if people are into an original idea and um, it's an escape for them, there's a real value for them in that. What, what's also interesting is because I'm sort of I, I'm nuts about progressive house. I always have been. I've, I've always I've always been this guy who's like got his like feet dug into the sand with this like progressive house flag. And I'm like, I'm not going to let anybody blow me away. Like, I'm going to stay here with this. Uh, I'm going to stay with this like real prog flag or whatever it is. And, yes. you know, and well, like, um you know, but like that said, and uh, there have definitely been times where I've been like, all right, and here's like a record with like a poppy vocal and people have been like, boo, you know, like <laughs> every now yeah. and then. Like, uh, so I, I think now I've earned myself the right to sort of experiment a bit with my own sound and, and I don't I don't necessarily have to be like so like squarely pigeonholed into this progressive house box. But what I've, but what I found yeah. really interesting is that there's actually starting to be more room for that again. We just went through like the biggest kind of like prog recession over like the last few years, uh, just because it just, it just wasn't finding a place in the world. You know, it wasn't, it it wasn't, it didn't have a platform like so many (laughs) other sort of, uh, sub genres of music did. And that's actually really changing now. And it's, it's sort of partly to do with Spotify and even, even like Beatport have, started like uh funneling all of the uh commercial music away from the progressive house section of beatport and putting it into like commercial dance or big room which is right. something that people have been lobbying for for a while and what you yep. are starting to see is uh like uh my buddy matt fax uh from france who is mm-hmm. yeah. um you know he's releasing these records that are like very reminiscent of the, of the kind of that that golden era of of prog you know they're just they're really chunky they're really nicely produced they like play back nicely on a, on a home stereo and they go down great on a dance floor and they are getting yeah. like a million one 1.5 million hits uh, on spotify and you know um there there so there is starting to be room for this kind of uh much more attention being paid to this music purely based on the the sort of the quality of yeah. you know without having to necessarily have like a big gimmick in in the music itself or something like that you know yeah man yeah it, it totally i'm just sorry i'm looking at my my folders here i'm i have four matt facts tracks right here in my music like i've, I've dj'd like you know 
eight gigs this year. And like, you know, I'm still like, you know, I have my ear to the ground. I have a couple of Matt Fax tracks here. So that's cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. And I think he's, I think he's actually a really good example of the new breed of underground music producers who are writing the kind of stuff that's going to find its way into lots of people's sets. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's, it's kind of an exciting time, I think, because I, I really do feel like this kind of music, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's the next, I, f- I feel like, you know, commercial dance and, and EDM and all that kind of stuff is kind of like a gateway into all these other different kinds of worlds of music. And we underground music nerds need to sort of like be the, yeah. the gatekeepers yeah. of this kind of music and, and, and sort of, and show people like the best sides of it. So that's, that's what yeah, I've always been trying to do. You know, I agree. The creatives have to take it back. I mean, it really has become, you know, I feel like the electronic music scene has become, you know, it, it's like America has done this to everything. You know, they basically add high fructose corn syrup and, <laughs> you know, take out the quality ingredients and they Americanify the whole thing. And, um, you know, the, the creatives, the real like, dorks and nerds and creatives have to take it back and basically you know it becomes more of a craft business again yep you know um and i i'm trying to there's so many like you know analogies but like you know um the craft beer business i mean that's kind of really blowing up you know it's it's already blown up but like you know that that was you know that's sort of the the craftsmen the craft beer they, they took the industry back you know now budweiser's not cool anymore yeah you know so um, God, I think there's an element of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, like, could, that, that could. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. That, that's an element. I think that could, uh, that could definitely like rear its, you know, an element that could push forward as far as like, as this EDM bubble bursts. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's funny to say that because I, I also do feel like it can be so hard to choose uh, what beer to buy. Uh, in the States nowadays, because you sort of like, yeah. you go to the beer section and you are bombarded with like so many of the most like colorful and like well-designed and like, you know, like witty, witty named beers that you've like beer labels that you've ever <laughs> seen in your, in your entire life. And uh, you, yeah. you would need to spend your, your whole life like trying them all before you could really actually like, I, you know, know, discern which ones are the best it, ones. And so maybe, yeah, maybe, I mean, the cur- maybe EDM is like, that as well, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, the, the the curation of things is really, um, you know, that's a, that's its own talk show as well. It's just like, you know, obviously, Beatport finally deciding to like, you know, uh, attempt to curate things a bit more according to the root of a certain sound. You know, um, you know, I think it's it's valid and and good, but it's it's tough because like, you know, there's so much, you know, especially I mean, craft beer, you know, there's you know, that maybe, maybe it's not many, there's not as many people making craft beer as there are kids making tracks. And, you know, sometimes like, you know, I'm wondering like, how does Beatport win that curation war of, you know, uh, um, you know, it, it almost seems a little unwinnable in the sense that like, you know, all the genres are, you know, kind of cross pollinating, you know, so it seems um, it's, it's a, uh, it, you know, that, that'll, I think it'll be a fluid situation of how the curation uh, continues to evolve. Uh, if they're, you know, they're going to make more genres or they're going to just like reduce the genres or how, how are they going to seed and feed, you know, the new records as they come out? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we were sort of talking about this on previous shows that, 
it's it's not necessarily always such a democratic system either. It, it, it's it, because it, because it is it, because we do have these complex kind of internet s- systems upon which everything is based uh, that can be manipulated and can be tweaked and all that kind of thing. It, it can also be very yeah. hard to actually sort of tell like what the quality content is as well. So that's that's something I hope we sort of tackle over the next few years as well. Is is you know, and I think that's going to be in the hands of the users. It's gonna be it's gonna be you know like the in the hands of Spotify users and and I think people. Um, I, I guess the difference nowadays is that people can actually give much more feedback on on how much they're enjoying the content they're accessing. You know, people like and unlike yeah. things. People favorite things on Spotify. So we have some more metrics yep. now of like what's of what's quality and what's enjoyable. But yeah, yeah I just man. you know, I, I'm still I'm I'm very excited for for where it goes from here because with something that they the EDM kind of like bubble <laughs> or the EDM gold rush kind of has given us is. It's it's shown us just how far we can take the production quality and the the, the not just of of tracks but also of events and you know yeah. um, and you know you you sort of saying that America does this does this has this sort of effect on everything it touches I think it also it it also serves to maximize things beyond. Uh, where they've ever gone before, and so that's something yeah. that I really hope to see for underground music as well. Is is um, just to see it become more sustainable and more viable uh, for people for yeah. the, for the for the millions of people who are doing it now. Big time, and, yeah. And I think yeah. I think I think like there's there's plenty more to come in terms of uh, you know new technologies and. I, I can I can see kids like ten years or fifteen years from now putting on big shows like in in the virtual world and everyone's got like you know Oculus Rifts like on on their like glued to their faces and nobody yeah. actually go, nobody actually goes out of the house like you know like <laughs> nobody stays up past their bedtime because they can just do it at home on the couch. At, like, I know. I mean, you were already at that point where they do the the silent headphone parties. So yeah. you know, yeah, definitely. It, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting, you know. I, I think um, the EDM thing, the explosion of EDM in America, you know, it really polarized everything. You know, it, it, the, the underground stuff certainly didn't necessarily get any weaker, but it just became like, you know, it was either you're going to Burning Man and you're doing underground, or like you're like full on EDM, and there wasn't a whole lot in the middle. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, sort of like that is that was sort of the conundrum that I faced because you know, I was sort of in the middle, you know, and, uh, I, I was sort of birthed from, you know, Sander and Sasha, like bringing me on tour and like, you know, kind of, and, uh, you know, creating a sort of a niche for myself in the middle that wasn't commercial, but it wasn't super like low V neck minimal either, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and, uh, so there I was, you know, I, you know, I was just me, you know, and, um, you know, that when, when like, you know, hipster sound came and then when EDM came, I'm like, wow, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I like this lunch cafeteria. I can't find a place to sit, you know? <laughs> so, totally. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I think that that'll probably fill in a bit more as the creatives start to like, you know, the, the crafts, the crafts people come back in and, you know, uh, more of the, the middle will fill in, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, mate, it's it's uh it's been great to hear your voice again after after all these years. It's it's been quite yeah. a while, and um you know, Yours I, too. I think I think I've I've I've, you, I've always had you on Facebook, and so I've always been sort of like staying up to date with all the all the latest stuff you guys have been putting out, and it's it's uh it's it's just mind blowing, you know, like how where, where it's gone. <laughs> That's um, cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah, definitely. I, maybe sometime we can trade some song stems and uh, work on a track or something. That'd be fun. That'd be great. And yeah, I would definitely love uh, to hear the stuff that you've been working on um, over over those years as well. 
Um, yeah, I'll have you sign an NDA. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do a mashup remix of it. Nice. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, just lastly, uh, where, where can people um, check out, like, you know, check you out on the internet and, and your websites and things like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, Porterhouse Media, porterhousemedia.com is, you know, more or less the website for all the mashup work that we do. Um, you know, that's pretty findable on YouTube and Google and uh, around. But uh, as far as myself goes, uh, I just launched a new website. You know, I'm haven't necessarily put a lot of things up there yet, but djsteveporter.com is my same old website. Um, you know, and, uh, I plan on, you know, as we chatted about earlier, just putting out some new, you know, new tracks, maybe an, an album of unreleased stuff, uh, and just getting the engine going, you know, I'm here in LA and, uh, you know, I'm here to collaborate with people and, uh, you know, kind of go back to my roots a little bit. For sure. Cool. Well, DJ Steve Porter, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's it's been a blast, and uh, pa- perhaps we'll uh, we'll get you back on the show uh, like further down the line and, and and see how it how it all panned out. <laughs> Sounds good, Jimbo. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome, man. Have a good one. All right. See you. Bye. Bye. That wraps it up for my chat with Steve. I hope there were some cool takeaways and insights for all of you listening out there. Before we go, here's a little preview of the title track from my forthcoming EP on Anjuda Beats. It's called Show You, featuring the vocals of Tommy Murphy, and it's out next week. There's also a JTech club mix of this track on the way. I'll be unveiling that in my Anjuna Beats Worldwide mix this Sunday. a heartbeat now and if i could say it all over wouldn't really matter damage is done now i try to tell you in my own words messages of love that could never be heard could never be Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget you can listen back to this show at jtechmusic.com forward slash studio talk. See you next time. Studio Talk with JTech.